This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 18. This is Writing Excuses, naturally revealing character motivation. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm in a hurry. Okay. Well, we want to talk about character motivation. Yay. Hey. This is, in my opinion, the thing that new writers get wrong the most. Yeah. Uh, when my students who are good writers are turning in books uh, during class and I'm giving them feedback. It's often, I can't understand why the character's doing this. The motivations are off. You're having someone move the plot without explaining why this character would move the plot. One of the hardest things, I guess, to figure out as a new writer is character motivation. It's so essential. You know, I did it wrong as we were introducing the episode. Mm. First time around, 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry, and we're not that smart, and I said it very quickly and kind of stepped on Dan's line. That's me in a hurry. Second time around, I said, and I'm in a hurry, which is not the right way to do it because that's just announcing it. It doesn't feel natural. You want a character to look like they're in a hurry, their speech is clipped, they're cutting people off, and, and you, you get this sense at about the same time the other characters in the scene do. You get this sense that this person has something else they want, like maybe dinner because I'm hungry. Yeah, I, I narrated a book once where the, the main character thought, I'm so in love with him, and walked into the room and said, I'm so in love with you. I'm like, that's not... <laughs> really, what a surprise. Um, I think one of the things that will happen to to a, a new writer is that they will be like, oh, I need a character motivation. Um, and they forget how much, how often we lie to ourselves about what our motivation is. Mm -hmm. There's a thing that I talk about um, a lot called objective and super objective, which is a, a term out of theater. And, um, you know, people are always in theater going, what's my motivation? It's, it's the joke among right. actors. Uh, but it's real, too. So the, the super objective is kind of the overall driving thing that drives your character. Well, the objective is their immediate goal in a scene. So a lot of times people only give their character this very superficial, uh, superficial objective. Like, I would like to take over the world. Well, okay, but why? Right. Um, we talked about that in the Villains podcast. Yeah. Why? Mm. Why do you want to take over the world? Is it to prove a point? Um, is it because, you know, like the example that I often use is that there was a, a point when I was really trying to lose weight. And because my, my super objective was to be admired. So I try to do a good job on the podcast. I like to look nice, you know, and, uh, and finally realized that my problem was just that my clothes didn't fit and that my objective was the wrong objective. It's like, you just buy new clothes. So I think that that's one thing that will happen is that people will pick a, a, a motivation for their character that is just one-dimensional, and then their character will just announce it all the time. You, know, you can flip mm -hmm. that uh, completely on its head and have, you know, the character who really wants a new car, and it's because they want to be loved and they feel like the car is going to help them get yeah. the girl or get the guy. And then the twist in the story is their realization that I don't want the car, I want to be loved, 
I'm going about this wrong. And now you have a, the, the discovery that your objective is not working in the service of your super objective is, well, you can hang, yeah. you can hang a dozen stories on that. So one of the things that I had to learn that I was always getting wrong. So maybe this is something that, uh, that other new writers can have the same trouble is I would always take a lot of time to figure out what is my story about? What's the plot going to be? And then who is the character? What do they want? All this stuff. But rarely ever thought about how those two were going to connect to each other mm. until I started writing John Cleaver. And uh, I, I talked about this a few months ago that figuring out how the plot and the character are going to interact. You know, yes, this character is in this story because that's what I chose, but also why? Why does this character in particular want to solve this problem? What is going to drive her to go on this quest? All of these questions um, I think is is a level deeper than just figuring out who the character is. Yeah. The other thing I think that I see a lot of times, and, and I realize we're still talking about kind of uh, the framework for the, the the motivation before we start talking about how to express it is because I think if you don't understand the framework, you can't express it. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of people do is that they will make the goal and the stake the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, the goal is what your character is trying to achieve. The stake is what failure looks like for them. And these are sometimes n- usually not the same thing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a car. That's the goal. Um, and if your stake is, if I fail at this, I don't get the car. That's right. the same thing. That's the same thing. If you, you know, if, if I fail, uh, my family is disappointed in me. And then those two things can intersect with each other in, in you know, that's failure is my family is disappointed. That's what, that's what's at stake. So if you've got those two things playing against each other, and most of us have multiples, um, then then it gives your character, um, honestly, something to think about. It gives them an internal conflict. And I think that when we're trying to reveal character motivation, just having them go, I want this car. There's no conflict there. Yeah. I want this car, but I can't have this car. One of the things that I use a lot to for this specific problem is actually Hollywood formula. Uh, because the way Hollywood formula sets you up with a protagonist who wants something and you introduce that before you introduce the conflict of the story itself. And so often then the conflict becomes the means of that. Mm. I need to s- support my family and provide for them. That's my overarching goal. But then this opportunity to win a car in a contest shows up. And so that's my immediate objective. And so that's the conflict that comes up. But it's all driven by that earlier goal. Interesting. And then right. the discovery as part of the contest that... Uh, there are things I can do in conjunction with this this fame and part of participating in this that have nothing to do with the car, but people are liking me for who I am, and wow, this maybe feels a little better. And now it's an after-school special on ABC in the <laughs> nice. 1980s. The classic <laughs> kind of really pithy way of putting some of this that I always heard in writing classes is the, the story of, you know, the king died, that's an event. The queen died of grief. That's a story. Mm. And the idea is the story is about the why as much or more than the actual event. And the motivation is that why. 
um, digging into that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Um, and Howard, you're going to tell us about yep. the Tencent Plague. This is one of my, one of my, favorite, one of my favorite recent reads. Uh, it's by uh, David Hoidu. It's called The Tencent Plague. And it is the story of comics in America. Um, the, uh, it, it talks about the technological, in the 1920s, the technological revolution that suddenly made comic books a thing and how an amateur group of creators broke into this market and created a pop culture movement that so upset the status quo that there were book burnings during the 1940s in the United States. Uh, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, and if you are a if you are a writer who's interested in writing things that are important and writing things that are awesome, uh, learning about these artists is worth learning about. Whether or not you draw pictures. The Ten Cent Plague by David, and I'm going to spell the name this time, uh, H-A-J-D-U. Uh, and I uh, got it on Audible, had it narrated, and it's awesome. Great. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. Um, let I, me... Honestly, halfway through it, I was terrified. Mm. <laughs> I was actually frightened because I didn't know the names of some of these people, and I did not know what was going to become of them. Mm. Um, let me Let me take, as we often do in the second half of the podcast, and try and dig at the how. Um, how are we going to reveal character motivation? We've talked about how a lot of times the character doesn't know yet what their even their own motive is. How do you reveal what the character doesn't even know yet? And you may not even know it yet if you're a discovery writer. So my favorite tool is free indirect speech, popularized by Jane Austen. Uh, and sometimes people will call this, you know, the internal monologue, but this is not the character necessarily talking to themselves. It is the the motivation expressing itself through uh, through the narration. This is where in, in free and direct speech, where what you do is you take um, the character's thoughts, their feelings, and you put it directly into the text in third person as part of the narration. So this is not the, you shift in the first person and think, man, I want something to eat today. Yeah. It is. Man, he wanted something to eat yeah. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, and the thing that it does mechanically, uh, as opposed to shifting into to first person, is it makes the, it ties all of the narration into the character's motivations, 
which means that then you can start directing the uh, the reader, um, the reader's attention by what the character is looking at and how long they're lingering on things. Uh, focus and breath for the puppetry episode way back in season six. Um, <laughs> season three. Season three. Oh wow! Right, Wait, I joined. It, it doesn't season three. Season wow. three. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Man, back Hollywood in the day. formula was season six. Howard's well, old. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, point being that, uh, that, that by doing this, it allows you to reveal the, the motivation in a, um, in a more layered manner. Whereas when you switch over into, uh, to first person, what happens then is that the narration and the character's thoughts become two different entities and, uh, or two different experiences for the reader. And so what will happen is that, those moments that that character motivation moment will pop out and mm-hmm. stand on its own and it will feel like nothing has built up to it mm. so it's one of it can doing that can absolutely remove any ambiguity and there are times when you want to do it but i think that uh that that slow reveal the the understanding of what's going on is something that you can do if you're unpacking it all the way through in the narration through free and direct speech i was in a seminar yeah, 25 years ago, where uh, they were talking about good communication skills. And one of the examples that was listed or that, that was was given was, you know, you're looking out the car window and you see a sign that says, you know, milkshakes, 99 cents. And you say to the person driving the car, I'm thirsty. Mm-hmm. Um, we do that all the time where we don't reveal our motivations. We we realize, you know, I really want a milkshake, but what comes out of our mouth is, I just, I'm, I'm thirsty. And the response from the driver is often, oh, yeah, I'm kind of thirsty too. We'll get something to drink when we get home. And now you're having a fight and you don't even know why. And I love that example because it lets me look at things that the characters are looking at and, and have them say something that is directly motivated by it, but is not necessarily clear to everyone else. We, we do we do that all the time. Um, I was going to say, we um, did a thing. I wish I'd kept this up longer, but we did a thing with my kids for a while where once a week we would sit them down and ask them what their goals were in life and then huh. see if we could, you know, help, you know, come up with a plan to achieve them. And, you know, when they're little, their goals are probably not, you know, they don't know what they want to be yet unless it's a ballerina or an astronaut. Um, Good goals. Which are great goals. And what was fascinating to me is the complete disconnect that they had and that since I've been looking at this, I think even a lot of adults have, between goals and actions. And making sure that you put that into your characters. You know, that if your character wants something, then they need to act like they actually want that and not just wait for the plot to drive them toward it. You know, I was going to say, we, we hit very hard the idea that sometimes the characters don't know what they want. A lot of times they do. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly all right to have a character whose motivation is established in the opening scene yeah. and is consistent for the entire story. Oh, a lot of yeah. great stories are done that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, this goes back to the kind of protagonist sort of thing that we talked about. Establish that motivation and then have them try to do things to get what they want. And maybe what they want will change. And that's, I think that's a lot of the trick with my new students is as the character's motivation is shifting, 
the reader or the author isn't leading us along. A lot of times the character goes through a, 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 a transformation when they realize what they wanted at the beginning of the story is much smaller than what now they want. They originally wanted to do well in school, and now they realize that, you know, monsters are going to destroy the planet and school doesn't matter anymore or whatever, things like this. And we, as an author, your job is to kind of lead along so that you can see the character letting go of that in that specific instance. Whatever it is, as they're they're shifting, their motivations are shifting, um, letting that drive the plot instead of the opposite, letting the plot drive what the characters need to say Readers notice that. It's one of the, the things that the uncanny valley sort of stuff that readers notice and can't always put their finger on why the character feels wrong. They say the character feels flat. It's not the character's flat. It's that the character's motives, motivations haven't been established for why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, jump off of that. And one of the and this is more of a diagnostic tool than a, a writing tool. Uh, when, when you have written something and you're getting that feedback of the character feels flat or I didn't believe the character would do that, um, what you've triggered in the reader is a sense of disbelief. You have violated their sense of the world. And so you, you have to treat it. Um, if, if you think about uh, when, when readers' disbelief are triggered with a, a physical thing, like I didn't believe they would survive a fall from a 13-story building. You're, you're triggering the same sort of thing in your reader where you're violating their sense of the world. And you have to tackle it the same way, which is by going back through and layering in all of the clues that you need to layer in to get them to that point. Uh, So, and a lot of times it is using very mechanical tools like the free and direct speech, or if it's already in there, sometimes you've put the stuff in there and the readers are skimming past it. So sometimes it is as simple as inserting paragraphs to make sure that the important thing is the last line of a paragraph or the last line of a scene or a chapter. I'm working on a revision right now where I got that response from an early reader. And the the response was, this character you established at the beginning of the story is very kind of, you know, she's an intern, she's a clerical intern who's now in the middle of of a disaster. And I'm like, of course you're going to go and kind of be heroic. It's that type of story. And I didn't Mm -hmm. transition her between I am just here to be saved to I am the person who's going to try to actually do something about this. Yeah. Now, a fantastic example of that transition is uh, Han Solo in episode four. Mm. He wants to get paid, and that's all he wants for most of the story. And even when they are in the Death Star, you know, the the ship has been captured and they've managed to escape the ship, but now they're just in a room and he's like, screw the princess, let's just get out of here. And he is only willing to go along with the plan because Obi-Wan Kenobi is essentially holding his ship hostage. You know, I will get this ship unlocked, I'll turn off the tractor beam, but only if you help with this. And so, you know, they keep his monetary motivations incredibly Mm -hmm. consistent throughout while also showing what is going to eventually become friendships that will make him change. Yeah. Let's go ahead and call it here. Did you have one more thing, Mary? Oh, I was just going to quickly say that the, the, the thing is, when you've got something like that, that you need to unpack it. Uh, and that's one of the things that a lot of times with something like this, that we think a single line of free and direct speech will, will do it, and it won't. You actually have to, with a change like that, you actually have to unpack it and, and let it fill an entire moment. Dan, you have our homework. Yes, that actually is our homework. Um, take something that, uh, two, two options here. We're going to play around with free indirect speech. Number one is uh, take a motivation or, or a character thing and put it into free indirect speech. Or alternately, if you've already done that, 
take something that is in free indirect speech and then pull it out and unpack it and turn it into a longer thing and explore that motivation more. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You are all now motivated to go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 